Chapter Nine, Part One of A Prince of Good Fellows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. A Prince of Good Fellows by Robert Barr. Chapter Nine, Part One. The two young men mounted the small shaggy horses that had been provided for them by the forethought of their future host, MacLeod of Dunvegan. Apparently the king had forgotten all about his crushing defeat in the poetical contest of the day before, for he was blithe and gay, the most cheerful of those assembled, adventuring now and then scraps of Gaelic that he had picked up, and his pronunciation contributed much to the hilarity of the occasion. MacDonald, on the other hand, was gloomy and taciturn, as if already some premonition of the fate that awaited him at Dunvegan cast its shadow before. The news of the great condescension of the laird in inviting two strangers to his castle had spread through all the land, and early as was the hour the whole population of the district had gathered to wish the travellers a cordial farewell. The escort, as the king called a score of men, who were to act as convoy from one port to the other, or the guard, as MacDonald termed them, sat on their horses in silence, awaiting the word of command to set forth. At last this word was given, and the procession began its march amidst the cheers of the people and skirling of the pipes. The distance was little more than seven leagues over a wild, uninviting country. MacDonald sat his horse dejected and silent for the prospect confronting him was far from alluring. The king was incognito, he was not, and he had begun to doubt the wisdom of having given his actual designation to the people of Skye, for the relations between this island and the mainland were at that time far from being of the most cordial description. Dunvegan Castle was a grim stronghold, in which the MacLeods sat so secure that all the efforts of all the MacDonalds, even if they were for once united, could not dislodge them. It was one of the most remote inhabited places in all Scotland, its next neighbour to the west being that new land of America, discovered not yet fifty years. For the son of one highland chieftain to come so completely into the power of another, his own people knowing practically nothing of his whereabouts, was a situation that did not commend itself to the young man. Alistair Crottach was celebrated more for craft than for violence. He had extended and consolidated his possessions with the skill of a diplomatist rather than by the arms of his soldiers, and MacDonald thought it quite likely that a slice of sleet might be the ransom for his release. If through any incautious remark of his comrade, the Crottach became aware that he held not only MacDonald of Sleep, but also the King of Scotland. The fates only knew what might happen. The King, however, appeared to have no forebodings, but trotted along with great complacency, commenting now and then on the bareness of the landscape. The party had accomplished little more than half the distance, when, as they fronted a slight elevation that came to them over the hills, wild pipe music, louder than anything of that kind the king had ever heard. "'The MacLeod is evidently about to welcome us in state,' 
said his majesty to MacDonald. He must have the very monarch of pipers in his train. The Macrimmon, admitted MacDonald, are acknowledged to be the best pipers in all the highlands, and they are hereditary musicians to the MacLeod. The sounds we hear indicate that a number of pipers are playing in unison. On reaching the brow of the hill they found this was indeed the case. There were from thirty to fifty pipers, but they evidently bore no greeting to the travellers, for the musical party was marching in the same direction as themselves, playing vigorously as they swung along. At the instance of the king, MacDonald made inquiries regarding this extraordinary spectacle. The taciturn commander of the guard answered briefly that it was the College of Pipers. The students were marching back to Bockraig on the other side of Loch Follart, where instruction in piping was bestowed by the MacRimmon. This excursion over the hills, giving them training in piping and in tramping at the same time. The musical regiment took its way straight across the moors, and so very soon was lost sight of by the two travellers, who kept to a track which was more or less of a road. In due time the cavalcade reached Dunvegan Castle, and even a man accustomed to so stout a fortress as that of Stirling could not but be struck by the size, the strength, and the situation of this frowning stronghold. Yet, extensive as it was, its proprietor evidently found it inadequate for his ambitions, as he was now building a massive tower which added a further dignity to the structure. The king and his companion were received at the front entrance by an old man, whom each at once knew could not be their host, for his back had originally been straight enough, though now slightly stooped through age. He led them within and up a stair, direct to the apartments reserved for them. Their aged conductor spoke no English, so the burden of conversation fell on MacDonald. As soon as the latter perceived that he and his friend were to be separated, the king lodged at one end of the castle, and himself at the other, he protested against this arrangement, demanding two adjoining rooms. The old man replied that he was following instructions given, and if the rooms assigned were not satisfactory, his master would doubtless change them on the morrow. "'But, my good man,' expostulated MacDonald, "'we expect to be leaving the castle to-morrow.' "'In that case,' replied their cicerone, with a scarcely perceptible shrug of the shoulders, "'it makes but little difference for one night.' The king, inquiring into the purport of the discussion, quite agreed with the elderly guide that the matter was of small moment. "'If our genial innkeeper intends to murder us,' he said, "'we shall be quite as helpless together as separate, for he has irresistible force at his command. If we are in a trap there is little use in snarling at the bars. By all accounts Dunvegan is a shrewd man, and I can see no object which he can attain by doing harm to either of us.' If he had a son who was next heir to the position I hold, I confess I might sleep uneasily to-night, but as he must know that the king's fleet is hovering about his coast, and that his castle would make a most excellent target for it, as he cannot transport his house to the hills should the ship sail up the loch, I don't see what he can gain by maltreating two men, whom he must suspect of having some connection with the advent of the fleet. 
oh i have not thought replied macdonald that the eagle of dunvegan would fly so high as you suggest but there are lowlier perches on which he may like to fix his taloons he has long cast covetous eyes across the sound of sleet to the mainland and whatever he knows or suspects he is sure of one thing which is that he has the son of the laird of sleet safely landed in his own house how distrustful you highlanders are of each other cried the young monarch laughing bless me jamie no bargain made in durance will hold then you must remember you have me behind you and i have all the power in scotland behind me that is very true but the power of nothing is behind either of us if we cannot get word to the outside world last night on learning we were invited to this place i searched for my gillies but without success my boat and its crew have been taken elsewhere so you see there is at least a design to cut our communications i am thinking we'll see more of loch follart from this window for a while than of the field of bannockburn from stirling towers i quite agree with you jamie that we are fairly nabbed but the old gentleman who has us in thrall can make nothing by ill-using us sooner or later he must divulge his plan whatever it is before he can benefit from it and when he does that it will be time enough to consider what course we are to pursue then turning suddenly towards their guide who had been standing motionless during this conversation the king said sharply in english is your master at home the old man made no reply but looked at macdonald as if for translation the latter repeated the question in gaelic and received an affirmative answer he says the laird is at home he has no english i wasn't just sure of that so i tested it by an abrupt question thus locking the door after the horse was stolen for we have spoken rather plainly before him and so have proved ourselves in the beginning very poor conspirators however i care little what the next move is so long as it brings us something to eat clear your gloomy brow jamie and tell them in the most culinary gaelic that this is not a fast day with us and the ride across the moors has increased our appetites macdonald followed his custodian down the long corridor and the king entered the apartment assigned to him after sufficient time had elapsed to allow the travellers to remove the traces of travel from their persons they were summoned to a small room where they found a most welcome and substantial meal set out for them a generous flagon of wine stood by each trencher it was the first the king had had an opportunity of tasting since he left his capital and he seized upon the measure with some eagerness here's to the macleod he cried i drink to the king and good luck to him said macdonald i drink to anything so long as the wine is sound rejoined his majesty enjoying a deep draught a e good jamie he cried setting the flagon down again that's better claret than we have in stirling there is no reason why it shouldn't be excellent replied macdonald for the laird's own ships bring it direct from the coast of france to the coast of skye and there's little chance of adulteration between the two when the repast was finished the aged man who had received them at the door entered 
and announced that MacLeod of MacLeod was ready to greet them in his study. They followed him and were ushered into an oblong room somewhat larger than the one they had left. The king was astonished to find the walls lined with numerous volumes, some of the tombs massive in heavy binding. As books were not over-plentiful even in the realms of civilization, he had not expected to find them in a corner of the world so remote. Alastair the hunchback sat by the side of a huge oaken table, and he did not rise from his chair when his visitors were presented to him, either because he wished the better to conceal the deformity which gave him his nickname or because he did not consider his guests of such importance as to deserve a more courteous reception. He addressed them in excellent English, and the king constituted himself spokesman for the occasion, MacDonald standing by taciturn in spite of the excellence of the wine, which indeed he had consumed somewhat sparingly. "'I understand,' began MacLeod, that you have honoured my poor rugged island of sky with your presence for some days the honour sir has been ours replied the king with an inclination of his head i was visiting my friend macdonald in sleet and heard of the king's barge so we came over to see it this is your friend macdonald of sleet then yes may i have the pleasure of presenting mr james macdonald to the macleod the two highlanders one sitting one standing bowed somewhat distantly to each other as the king with a flourish of his hand made the introduction perhaps continued macleod suavely your friend from sleet will do a like obligement for yourself i shall not put him to that trouble said the king airily i am of such small account that it would be pity to put upon a highland chieftain the task of pronouncing my name i am called the gidman of ballengeich very much at your service sir gidman meaning farmer of course asked dunvegan meaning small farmer said the king with a graceful inclination of the head the tones of the macleod had not been too cordial from the first but they became less so at this confession of low quality on the part of his visitor you will forgive my ignorance but where is ballengeich it is a little steading near stirling but of more value than its size would indicate for i am fortunate in possessing the custom of the court you cater for the castle then asked macleod frigidly yes in various ways MacLeod turned from his loquacious guest, as if he desired to hold no further converse with him, and thus, however crafty he might be, he convinced the king that the castle had no suspicion whom it held. MacLeod said abruptly to his other visitor, fastening his piercing eyes upon him, "'I heard you were a prisoner at Stirling.' "'Prisoner, sir!' cried MacDonald angrily, the red colour mounting to the roots of his hair but before he could speak further his garrulous companion struck in what an absurd rumour macdonald a prisoner i assure you he was no more a prisoner at stirling castle than he is at this moment in dunvegan castle ah said macleod turning again to the farmer his eyes partially closing examining the other with more severe scrutiny than had previously been the case 
"'He was at liberty to come and go as he pleased, then?' "'As free as air, sir. Otherwise how could he have visited my slight holding, and thus become acquainted with me?' "'I thought perhaps he had met you in the courtyard of Stirling with a sack of corn on your shoulder.' The king laughed heartily at this. "'I said a small farmer, certainly, but I am not quite so unimportant as you seem to imply. I have a better horse to carry my corn than the one that to-day carried me to Dunvegan.' The lad ignored this disparagement of his cattle. "'You came to Skye, then, to see the king's boat, of which you had heard favourable report. The news of her seems to have travelled very quickly.' indeed and that's true said the king complacently information spreads rapidly in the highlands it seems to spread to the lowlands as well you heard the king's proclamation perhaps yes we heard the pronouncement it's possible you came from the fleet no we came over land had you heard of the fame of malcolm's boat before you left stirling End of chapter 9, part 1, read by Lars Rolander.